I heard the competency of chaos because in mm. those moments, right. I, and I had goosebumps when it came through like the competency of chaos because chaos is required in order for us to shift, right? Like in those moments where it's like, okay, there is this component of chaos. When, when a BIPOC person speaks up, that there's potential for chaos because it's disrupting all of the ways that we have been conditioned to be. Hey everyone, welcome to Disrupting Our Practice. I'm Shannon Patterson. And I'm Greg Flynn. This podcast is for white-bodied leadership and organization development consultants, facilitators, coaches, and trainers. This is a weekly podcast dedicated to the exploration of how we practitioners can disrupt our practices. Those practices where we are unwittingly perpetuating racism, oppression, and harm. And it's all in service to being able to co-create a culture of equity, justice, and healing. So we live in a world that truly works for everyone. Thanks for joining us as we work to disrupt our practice. Hey, Shannon. Hey, Greg. We are here today, the two of us, also with Leilani uh, Manulu, a friend of ours and colleague who we met years ago at a program leaders gathering at Whidbey Institute. Uh, hey, Leilani, let's get your voice in here. How are you? Hi, Shannon. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So yeah. good to have you. Yeah, Thank so good you. to have you. This has been in the works for a long time. Um, Well, just a bit about Leilani. Uh, Leilani is an intuitive leadership and DEI expert with over 20 years of experience in leadership and DEI work. Uh, She is an amazing keynote speaker. She's the author of the book Paradox of the Water Bearer. She has another book in the works. She's the host of her own podcast, The Intuitive Catalyst. Uh, Leilani comes to us with a background in aerospace and has had the pleasure of consulting with the following organizations, to name just a few, the Downtown Seattle Association, the City of Olympia, Intellectual Ventures, and the Nature Conservancy. So Leilani, it is so great to have you here, and we look forward to diving into the conversation. Is there anything you would like to say about who you are and, um, I don't know, what's mattering to you these days? Sure. Oh my gosh. What doesn't matter to me? I'm in like matter overload. Um, but I, I think the, the one thing that wasn't mentioned is that I am a shaman. And so I approach all of my work in DEI and leadership through that lens of, of healing. And, um, for those that don't know what a shaman is, uh, it's kind of like an encompassing term, for indigenous healers. So every culture around the world has some form of shamanism. And uh, I, I myself am Filipino. So in the Philippines, we have versions of shamans. Um, I've studied shamanism. Um, that was kind of a collection of different shamanic uh, practices. And I, so I approach the lens of leadership, DEI, organizational development, organizational change from this perspective of we cannot move forward unless we get deeply attuned to who we are on this like energetic level Mm -hmm. and come back to healing ourselves and and also our organizations um, in service of being more heart-centered, more holistic, more creative, more intuitive. So that Mm. that is who I am and that's the work that I do. Mm, So great, Leilani. All of those things have such deep resonance with me. It's not every day we get to have, you know, a shaman and bringing that indigenous knowledge and wisdom um, and tradition into this space as we go on a healing journey, which is, you know, ultimately what we're on here together. And um, we're going to check in. Uh, The overview of today's sessions before we check in is to talk about what we as facilitators, and I think, you know, we can extend that into trainers and coaches, but we we're talking a lot about facilitators and what we bring into the space consciously or unconsciously, um, you know, our own personal material, our trauma material, shame and guilt about all sorts of things, um, that if we don't spend time 
raising our awareness and healing really leads to harm for people of the global majority. So we're going to be diving into that and hearing from Leilani about how we can be in a healing space, uh, use the role of intuition in our healing. So it'll be great conversation, but let's check in and get present. It's something we do here because it's so important Mm. to be present with each other. Uh, So we will start with a bit of a check-in. Yeah, as always, as we, as we always do. I, you know, I was, I was thinking about like, what, how might we check in here today? And I, I, you know, sometimes we just kind of go in the, how are you arriving camp, which is, it can be a, a, a bit of a lighter check-in though, not mm-hmm. necessarily, but actually I was thinking with you here, Leilani, I actually want to invite a little bit more in the check-in. Yeah. So let's, let's actually make it, you know, it's, I, I almost feel like a little edgy asking the question, but like what I'm, what I'm, what I'd love for us to check in with is like, what? what do you need to set aside coming mm. in today in order to be fully present? Like, and mm. well, obviously I'll answer this question, but you know, what do we need to set aside today in order to be fully present in this conversation? And unless somebody, either of you are jumping to go first, I'm happy to go first. So. Um, I, I actually, mine came up right away. Okay. Go for so, it. Why don't you go? Um, so I am a shaman and I, it's kind of a complex concept, but I filter a lot of emotional experiences for our human collective. That's a part of my purpose in existing in this world. And my son started kindergarten on Friday Mm. and Mm. Thursday night. I I literally had a panic attack thinking about Mm. school shootings. Mm. And so, and I was just so confused because I don't actually usually sit in a space of fear about a lot of things. And I was like, where is this like intense fear coming from? And I was actually filtering like so many parents who are sending their kids back to school, the fear around like living in the US and our reality around gun violence. And so I know this is very deep, but this is truly what I'm setting aside is this like this fear that I've been kind of processing for our, our, you know, American collective probably around um, what happens when we let our littles go away Mm. from us into school and the sphere around like, I know it's improbable and yet it is possible. And so for me, I'm, I'm just setting aside the fear of like, okay, my child is getting older and I get to trust that he's going to be okay and that his teachers will take care of him. And so, yeah, that's what I'm setting aside. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like the reality of like, yes, I'm all of these things and I operate in a very like intuitive space. And yet there are very real concerns that, that, that tug at me at times. So I'm setting that aside today. Mm. Mm. Wow. Thank you. And thank you for naming that. And yeah, I somebody who doesn't have little ones that he sends off to school every day. I can only imagine what that's like for you and yeah. millions of other parents. So, yeah, thank yeah. you. And I know it's really intense, but it's it's real. <laughs> it's that's true. real. Yeah. Well, I I, I invited it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's, you it's, sure it's did, welcome, Greg. <laughs> it's welcome here. It's welcome here. Thank yeah, you. And, and if you need to pick it back up some point during the conversation for mm, some reason, you. support that. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'll go next if um, if you're okay going last, Shannon. Yeah, um, totally fine. It's it feels a little bit of a pivot from that because it feels so small in comparison, but I can feel how it works in my nervous system, right? And that's that's part of I think what naming this stuff is about, right? Is sometimes there's a sense of sometimes there's a sense that oh, what what what's what matters to me is or what what's happening in me is less than what's happening in other people but mm-hmm. but our nervous systems are what you know what's important to track there and we've been having some real challenges with our dog um mm-hmm. and he's a he's our you know he's our little guy we've had him for almost eight years exactly and um you know we had a conversation on Friday with the vet that that ended with the vet basically saying like, you know, hu- humanitarian euthanasia is not a bad thing in under mm. certain circumstances. And, and that's just been weighing on me and I can just feel it in my body is like this, um, this choice that I don't ever want to have to make. I mean, I know that there, that there are times when it comes to illness and end of life. Um, and this is not that s- sort of situation. And so I'm sitting with that and, and, um, I've just been feeling the weight of that through the weekend and coming into today. And, um, so I, you know, I just need to set, set that aside while recognizing that, 
um, as best I can set it aside, it may still be present in my nervous system. So, um, yeah, just mm-hmm. name, that's, that's mine. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Greg. And what's really, I think, fascinating, and this is why the universe just continues to leave me in awe, is that we're both actually processing anticipatory grief. Mm. Like, that's actually what I, I actually had to look up that term the other day mm. of like, is, is this, it's real. And I think that yeah. that's probably why you felt called to share that as what you're mm. putting aside as well. So thank you for sharing that. And um, I know the feeling I've had, I've actually been in a similar situation. Um, my dog was sick, but he wasn't like at the very end yet. And I, mm-hmm. I had to make that choice and it's very difficult. So yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Leilani. I appreciate your naming the anticipatory grief. I think it's, I think Francis Weller actually speaks about that in his book, mm. the well, um, the Wild Age of Sorrow. Mm. Shannon, how about how about yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm just to set aside. Sitting with the pets are our furry family, and kids are very much our family, and just a mm-hmm. a theme of family. My dad is uh, having back surgery as we speak, I think, or is coming out of it. Oh wow! Oh my gosh! So just sitting with. Um, that's no small thing. And he's older and just feels some, some energy going that way and worrying for my stepmom and her care. And, um, also just sitting with, like, I had a really great visit with my family this weekend. And part of it was because one member of the family wasn't there and them not being there made things a lot easier for the rest of us. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's just a lot of grief. Um, that that's true. So yeah, I can just, just feel, just feel all of that in me and feel other things of work, like pulling on my attention. And so just sitting with, just sitting here struck by all that we're bringing into any space, you know, there's so much Mm -hmm. happening in all of us and around us and, and, um, and it's in our energetics and nervous system. So just sitting with, just sitting with that and how much I appreciate the check-in for knowing a teeny tiny bit about what we're all holding. It helps. So helps me anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. So, mm. thank yeah. You, mm-hmm. yeah. Thank you. And yeah. Sending lots of love and thoughts over the way to, to your dad. And as he emerges from this process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I um, also, can I just acknowledge one more thing? <laughs> Yeah, we're going to stay in the check in the whole episode. Um, (laughs) That would be totally okay. (laughs) (laughs) What I also wanted to acknowledge for those who are looking for some meaning um, or, or to belong to something as they're grieving, like we actually as a collective, as a human collective are navigating a season of grief because we are letting go of a lot of the old ways I mean, you probably have seen that in the work that you're doing, like the ways that that we have been operating for ever are falling away and we're moving into a space of newness. And because people don't always know how to move into a space of newness, they, we have to grieve. We have to mm-hmm. be able and willing to grieve. So like I, I anticipate that a lot of your listeners are also navigating grief of some kind, whether it's grieving their older selves or grieving a job that they had to leave or whatever. Um, so I actually am really appreciative in this moment that your podcast is, is giving voice to mm-hmm. that in this moment. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that Leilani. And I don't know if this ends up steering this, conversation in a totally different direction than the one we have, <laughs> we have thought about, or we you know, have notes mm-hmm. on, but I, you know, I, I, I think a lot about the ways in which we bump up against identity, um, mm-hmm. in this and what you just said, you know, and I know like, um, the, you know, the work of William and Susan Bridges around transition management, where they talk about, um, people don't fear change. People fear loss. Right. And so when we go into change processes, you know, they, they also, you know, they talk about um, the difference between a change and a transition, right? Like a change being an event and a transition being the psychological, emotional impact of that event. And so mm-hmm. much, you know, we, we, and we encounter that in our work and I'm sure you have as well. And mm-hmm. um, I know coming out of the aerospace industry, mm-hmm. there's a lot of, you know, a lot of change happen- <laughs> that's happened in that, oh, that, yeah. that field. 
you know, and, but like most, most organizations tend to the change and they do a lot of planning mm-hmm. and detailed work on that piece, but they're not necessarily thinking about the transition aspect of it. And the, and so then when you add change upon change upon change, you know, you have yeah. all of this. And, and so what's the, you know, the, the, the corollary to that when it comes to looking at things like DEI work and anti-oppression, anti-racism work, whether that's in organizations or in a society as a whole, you know, we have situations in which, you know, there are populations that have been oppressed and marginalized in our society for mm-hmm. generations, centuries, um, who are starting to get ground and their message just breaks through the cracks in some ways, mm-hmm. whether it be Black Lives Matter after George Floyd dies or, you know, the LGBTQ community and trans um, folks who are, you know, getting their getting their voices heard more now mm-hmm. um, and the impact that that can have on a, the core identity of folks who mm-hmm. maybe think of themselves as uh, forward thinking progressives, but can't quite necessarily mm-hmm. grapple with the, this, this unknown reality to them, right. To, right. to uh, white bodied folks or to cis hetero bodies. So I'm just kind of, I'm kind of curious about that and how you hold that from a DEI lens because when identity is being challenged, right, mm-hmm. it becomes harder to actually engage in a conversation that's about something, maybe somebody else's humanity, because somehow in myself, I am feeling threatened as like, well, isn't this the world? Isn't this the way the world is? Mm-hmm. Because that's how I've understood it whether that's right or wrong. And, and oftentimes it's wrong from the perspectives I've just been sharing. So I'm curious about, yeah. about that. Like what? Oh man, it's a good question. <laughs> and I, you know, where I was also wanting to hear from you too, is like as white bodied folks and, and I'm, I'm mixed. So I have, I have some privilege in that way, but I present as not. And mm-hmm. so I would love to hear that side of it. What, what was coming up for me as I was hearing your question is, we don't often talk about the grief that that happens in folks like that look like me or black and brown folks. Um, also, you know, I'm also queer. So there, we don't talk about the grief that is required in order for us to like move forward as well. Mm-hmm. So for me, I was like, what a lot of your listeners probably don't know is I was happily plugging along in my life, not happily, I was miserable, but I was plugging along in my corporate life in a marriage that was just not a good fit. And I, it was known, it was what I knew. And mm-hmm. even though I was playing small in almost every single part, if not every single part of my life, there was a comfort that I had to let go of. Mm-hmm. in in that yeah. existence. And so when when my intuition really started flaring <laughs> flaring up and I started knowing that I needed to move forward and I needed to to manifest this bigger life um which included, you know, DEI and and really using my voice and all of that, uh I had I had to grieve the person that I had been that had kept me safe for 30 seven years. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of, and that's, and that's just like identity grief, right? Like that's not even the grief of like watching George Floyd be murdered, which was one of the biggest mistakes I made was actually watching that video. Mm -hmm. So there's grief in moving into this new world, um, that, that we're all trying, I mean, that all three of us are trying to cultivate and create. Um, but there's also that grieving the identity of like this kind of safe, quiet box that I'd been in for so long, mm-hmm. um, quote unquote safe. And so that that's what was coming up for me. It's so interesting that our conversation went to like, okay, let's talk about grief. Um, but that is what comes up for me. And I believe that that is what's required in order for us to move into the world that we that we really want to see if we become too attached and there's so much, you know, spiritual and, you know, energetic teachings around attachment. If we become too attached to who we've been, we cannot actually grow into who we are meant to become. Mm -hmm. And we have to begin to think about, okay, who, who can I become in order for the world to be what I want to see? right? It has to begin with me and it has to begin with a reckoning of some sort that, that decision point of like, am I going to stay in this comfortable place or am I going to 
shift and let go of what has been in terms of my myself, who mm-hmm. I've been, in order to be what this world needs, because it has mm-hmm. to start from within. So that that's mm-hmm. where I went. But I'm super curious as you as you two as I, I and I. I think you've both introduced yourselves as white bodied folks. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how has that process been for you as you try to create the world you want to see? Mm. And when you say process Leilani, mm, like the process of learning to grieve, being with grief, acknowledging grief, is that? Yeah. Or, or just like your identity, sh- like, because I know you two have been on a journey of, Mm-hmm. really working toward, you know, ensuring that you're educated around, you know, DEI. And you mentioned like George Floyd being murdered and all of that. I I'm curious, like what, what have you had to let go of identity wise, I guess? Mm. Like what has that looked like for you? Mm. Do you want to answer Greg? I have ar- around the identity piece. I feel like it's interesting for me because one of the things I'm tracking here is the the possibility for some of this conversation to get like twisted towards a like white comfort um, towards white comfort uh, because there's a way in which I think it can be, I, I've been quite figured out for myself, the best way to talk about um, these challenges to, to identity and their role in the pushback we see against DEI or against Black Lives Matter or right. against trans rights. Because I think it plays a role. I think when we see January 6th happen, I think when we see the rise of the Proud Boys, we see what part of what we're seeing is is in relationship to that. And I don't want to I don't want to create a, um, a a narrative that that helps justify that I think it's more of like, I feel like mm-hmm. for me, from where I said, I'm like, as a white bodied man, I feel like I can understand how somebody can get pulled in that direction mm-hmm. because there's a sense of like, I thought the world was one way and it's, and I'm being told it's another way. And that's, that is too much for me to handle identity wise. And so I need to find a place in which I can continue to feel the way that like I am who I am. I've always believed mm-hmm. I am. And this is a place that's telling me I can do that and not then, but then it radicalizes me and it, you know, and, and my, my own journey, you know, where I think like the entry point for me has always been being raised in a context where social justice was important. And I don't mean that in my family con- context, cause that was definitely not true in my family context, but it was in the, com- one of, one of the communities I was raised in, which was a, Jewish community. And mm. I remember being a kid and going to protest um, at the Soviet consulate in San Francisco. And um, like, that was like an origin point for me. So it, it was almost like the, the journey to this place here feels almost seamless in some ways. There's some grappling, but not grappling in a way that was like, wait a minute, who then who am I? But I can understand why some especially white bodied men would be like, well, then who am I? If not who I've always been told I am, which is, mm-hmm. you know, King of the castle, like it, it's all for me, you know? Um, I don't know if that's making sense. Yeah, it is. And I, what I love about what you said in terms of like, there's a part of me that can not justify, but understand mm-hmm. that what happened. I think that that is one of the most crucial points that people often miss, especially when I have supported white-bodied folks, because it's so it's so much simpler and easier uh, to to just say, well, that's not me. I don't feel that way. That's not, but but even in my own whiteness, there is a part of me that that is connected to that experience, right? Mm-hmm. There's a part of me that is um, that understands that. I mean, I, I, my white family, my grandfather grew up in the deep South. I mean, you can make the connections there that you, you know, but there's a lot of harm that, that my white family has caused to specifically black 
folks, the Black community. And that's really vulnerable for me to say, but it's also really important for me to say, in order for me to begin to heal in, in the ways that my whiteness has perpetuated harm. So I think that what was so great about what you said, Greg, and I, and I felt the hesitancy, but I think that more, if more of us who, who have experiences in whiteness can connect with the places where, you know, I, I, I have a really brilliant friend. I'm kind of, but her name is Jess Lawmaster and she is the CEO of Kindred Leaders. And she talks about like Karen's and how easy it is for white women to say, well, I'm not a Karen. Oh my gosh. Like that's appalling this and that, but her, her stance and she's incredibly, you know, like very well-educated around DEI. She's like, I am Karen in a lot of ways. Like there is, there's a component of Karen in me. And if I'm not willing to evaluate that and examine that I'm going to be perpetuating those behaviors in the same, you know, unconsciously. So that's what I really loved about what you said, Greg. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, this, I mean, this is the thing is the reality is, and I mean, I say this to the listener as much as to us is like, this lives in all of us Mm -hmm. and it lives in all of us in different ways. But like, that's why I think something like beginning to identify what the culture of white supremacy looks like Mm -hmm. in our lives, in the way it still lives, you know, in the way, you know, and, and, and most of the people I know, most of the BIPOC folks that I know who are engage in this work, I think are in that similar question of like, how, you know, how does it live in me? Mm -hmm. Um, But, but from a very different place, like it's a, it's Mm -hmm. a place that I can't embody. I don't understand it. And I don't, you know, but like, I have to, I I have to acknowledge that this lives in me. Otherwise, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to miss the whole, the whole thing. Yeah. I'll just, I'm just, I'm going to stop talking there. I was curious what Shannon has to say. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, you too. I was just kind of orienting myself to all sorts of things around, um, you know, thinking about identity. And um, I, I was thinking most recently I did I, I did a little online learning thing with Maisha T. Hill um, and Healing Our Way Forward, I think is her book title. I hope I just said that right. Um, and it was around... Um, the Barbie movie. And so we were talking a lot about, uh, white feminism and, you know, very much recognizing, I think in my journey a few years ago, working with my mentor, Aaron Johnson at holistic resistance of like really, really feeling in my bones as best as I could in that moment, how dangerous, um, and harmful just like, even looking at me was for him, you know, it brought up stuff in his nervous system. He's like, you know, I've had middle-aged white women with glasses, you know, cause harm to me throughout my life. So that's like present in my nervous system, you know, um, even just being on zoom together, or I just have to notice that. Or if I think of you coming to my, to my land and being in my space and walking around and looking at pictures of my family, it's like, I hold both, both that, and, you know, knowing who you are and, and what you're, you know, what you're wanting to bring and co-create and, and undo and understand and feel. So I just, um, I feel like from an identity perspective is really feeling that in a different way of it. I can read about white feminism and say, that's me, but just having moments where um, I've felt it in my bones and, you know, some times recently where thoughts go through my mind, you know, where I'm like, I can't believe I just had that thought, you know, which was a totally white supremacist thought or, or a Karen thought, or, you know, something that's like, no, it's very much, it's very much alive in me. And I, um, it feels important. Like, like we were talking about in the, the opening, not that we have to go back there, but like, what do I bring into the room you know, and I'd like to think that isn't living in me or I've done enough work, but no, it's in me. And I just recently facilitated something where, you know, I made a pretty quote, easy overlook of, of something that ended up, you know, kind of an exacerbating a racial, a racialized dynamic in the room, you know, so there, there it is. So yeah, that's sort of the, some of the things that were, were coming up in my my thinking around identity. I had some other things around 
grief and healing being next door to each other as experiences, but I'll stop there and, and just see what, I don't know what that share brought into the space for either of you. Well, first of all, the white supremacist thoughts, we all have them. Even those of us who identify as BIPOC or in, in any, you know, um, marginalized or historically minoritized uh, community, because it's like the water <laughs> we're swimming in. It's it's the culture. It's the conditioning. It's it's not to excuse when we act on it, of course. Uh, but but I think we get to acknowledge like that thought is not who I am. That even though it is it is a part of us in many ways because we've been conditioned in this way. Um, I think, I think what is so important is like for us to say it out loud, Shannon, which is not always like an easy thing to do, especially in our culture. Now that we collectively are a little bit more aware of these things, it's, it's not easy for us to acknowledge these things. And yet it's necessary because you're letting someone else understand that their thoughts are not who they are, that the ways that they've been conditioned into this culture is not actually who they are. And from that point, we can begin to heal. It's from that point when we begin to acknowledge, okay, this has really, I mean, you said I could curse. This is really fucked with me. Like this is really messed me up and gotten me away from who I am in, in my purest state. So when we're born into this world, we we come in as our purest state. And then we are conditioned in many ways, whether it's in our family of origin or the culture that that we participate in. We we are, you know, we're conditioned. <laughs> and then and then we have these thoughts. So I think it's really important for us to acknowledge, again, it's not I, I hear you, Greg, about like, are we just like perpetuating white comfort or whatever? It's not. I think it's really important for us to say, hey, this is a regular common experience as people who have been, you know, socialized in in a white supremacist culture. And if we don't give it voice, then it stays in that place of shame, which we had discussed when we were prepping for the call. Like shame is such an insidious part of this process that like, and shame thrives in secrecy. So in order mm -hmm. for us to begin to acknowledge the shame of everything that we're walking around with, that we've been conditioned with, we have to be able and willing to talk about it and in, in places that feel safe. And it gets tricky in mixed spaces where there's, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. folks from all sorts of backgrounds and present in, you know, white, as white bodied and, and non, you know, and those of us who are BIPOC, it, it gets tricky. And yet um, it's, it's important for us to be brave, to be brave in those, in those moments and know we're going to fuck up. We're going to, we all will. And I mean, it's, it's, it's just so hard. I think that this is why, as we talk about like facilitators doing this work, it's like, just, just expect you're going to fuck up. Like it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to feel terrible. Um, you may cause harm. And again, it's, it's not our intention, but what is worse is sitting in a place where we're pretending like it doesn't exist, mm -hmm. where we're mm -hmm. pretending like our shame isn't a part of who we are. Um, and, and what I will say is, you know, there are ways to do this work I have in, in spaces of folks that look like us. Right. Um, and that is absolutely important, especially as, as white bodied folks to do a little bit of that education together. And, um, at, at some point it's, we, we have to be able and willing to fuck up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no way around it. Uh, yeah. I'm curious, Leilani, mm -hmm. uh, kind of, going from one extreme to the other to sort of the, the heart and the grief and issues of identity to mm -hmm. tactics here. But I'm curious, like what have you seen or what would you recommend or what would be, if you could wave a magic wand, like any one of those things mm -hmm. um, be like white bodied facilitators, like how have you seen them show up in ways that, make room for a different kind of connection in yeah. a fuck up moment. Mm. 
I would love oh, to know that. Like that went that took a turn. Okay. okay. <laughs> In a fuck up moment. Oh my goodness. Um not spiraling into withdrawal. Mm. I think that that the most important thing in those moments, and I can even feel the fear <laughs> as people are listening to this, mm-hmm. as white, you know, white body folks are listening of like, you would want to just eject. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, in, what I'm saying, I'm, I'm like intuiting a lot of this right now is like, I feel like most of the time that is the absolute worst thing you can do. The best thing you can do is lean in, lean into vulnerability, lean into apology, <laughs> like all, all of the things. And, and I think that that scares a lot of people who are in those positions as trainers, as facilitators to apologize mm-hmm. because it shifts, you know, credibility and power. And there, there's so much of that. And like, if you really are trying to be a better human and just acknowledge that this time around, I may have lost some of that, And know that Mm. next time around, I will probably do better if I lean into connection, if I lean into apology. Um, I think that that is the best thing you can do, not only to to mitigate the harm that's already been caused with with the person that, that you've caused harm with, it's also an important way to model how to do this work in a way that is centering all of these heart centered ways that we're trying to move forward, this connection. So I would say vulnerability and lean into connection as best you can. Um, I know that's what I've needed so many times. And mm-hmm. I've seen so many um, program leaders and facilitators, like I, I see it because I'm a shaman. I can feel their emotions. I feel their nervous system just like, Ugh. and and again, like responding from like a super triggered place mm-hmm. may also not be the most that's why I say most of the time, like you have to really gauge, like, how can I proceed in a way that mitigates further harm? Right. Mm-hmm. Because if you go from a super triggered place, you may actually cause more harm. Does it make sense to take a break, breathe for 10 minutes, come back and address that person with the room watching? Um, can you come back into that space? Um as authentically as possible. And you know what, because of the harm that we all as BIPOC folks have endured, they may or may not receive your apology. They may or may not give you whatever grace and forgiveness you're seeking. And that also has to be okay. Mm. That it's so uncomfortable. (laughs) Right. I'm wondering when you, when you were just saying, when you're talking about the, you know, the, the reaction reacting from a triggered place, mm-hmm. you also mentioned um, the worst thing to do is to, to eject, right. To leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I imagine that when you say that you don't just mean like literally like walking out of the room and like, leaving. I mean, emotionally. Usually. Right. And that's, so can you mm-hmm. talk a little bit more about what that can look like? Cause I, I yeah. or what, and, and what you've, what you've, witnessed in your own experience because i think it's important for for us to hear some of the mm-hmm. ways in which that that can show up in us yeah. because i think some of those ways we may actually think we're doing something different than that yeah well you know you all are facilitators and program leaders and i imagine that most of your listeners are too what this looks like is going into our default of like oh i'm the facilitator i'm going to come back up many levels and like, let me just get the room back into homeostasis. That is actually a way that we are ejecting from responsibility and actually repairing what has been harmed. Right. And so uh, it's, and it's so tricky because that's how we're trained. That is literally what we're taught when we are leading these programs is like, okay, let's get the room back in on track. And yet what that does is perpetu it's just perpetuates this, normalized way of being together in mixed spaces of, okay, like BIPOC folks, actually whatever impact just happened doesn't matter Mm -hmm. because we have to get the collective back to a place where we can move forward. Mm -hmm. It's bullshit. Right. Right? Like if I think about those experiences that I've, I've been in, it's like, it's, it makes so much sense on a strategic level and on, you know, from the training that we have. And yet that person goes home with more feelings around, I do not matter here mm-hmm. and I don't belong here. 
right? So when we think about entering these spaces and uh, I mean, another way to eject is to like have a really like non-vulnerable apology or like um, just ways that we're like removing ourselves from actually doing the repair work. We know the difference, right? We've all been in some sort of relationship where I'm actually going to my safe place by ejecting and I'm going to say something to try to smooth it over, but I don't really mean it, right? It's That's mm-hmm. another way of ejecting. Um, so there, there's so many ways that it can look. and Or here's another one that's a little bit more probably common is pulling that person aside and saying, hey, I, and, and maybe... Maybe some people would respond well to being pulled aside, but when you pull aside specifically like a BIPOC person, when harm has been done and say, I'm sorry, like, and you're not modeling that for the room that can also cause harm, right? That's a way of you staying safe and Mm -hmm. still being the authority and staying Mm -hmm. comfortable, but like I've done what I can do. And so there's, there's a lot of ways that this can look and manifest and a lot of different ways that harm can be caused. And again, it's so tricky because it's it's never going to be the straightforward like it's it's emotions it's it's you know our nervous systems it's connection all of which are incredibly complex we all come in with different damage right like we all come in with different things different traumas different ways that we've been healing and um and it's never going to be a one for one there's never going to be like here's the solution here's what you do when x happens then you do y it's never going to be that simple so again you have to be able and willing to be vulnerable to be brave to address the harm and the hurt um to make yourself you know perhaps shift down in power a little bit in the room mm-hmm. and come what may <laughs> right like mm-hmm. i don't know how that's going to go I, I know I did my best. Now I'm going to go talk to my therapist about it. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's what, I mean, that's, that's what I'm offering in this moment. I hope that's mm-hmm. good enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, Leilani, I, so much in what you said, thank you. I want to like, each one is a podcast episode in of itself, but I'm feeling like the <laughs> importance of leaning into connection and vulnerability. And I was listening to you thinking like, Less is more, I think, in those spaces for mm-hmm. myself. Like, absolutely. As a facilitator, I can feel those parts of me that want to like eject by, by being strategic and paying attention to the mm-hmm. room and how cognitive that gets. You know, mm-hmm. and so I end up missing the human and humans mm-hmm. who have been harmed. And so I just also find myself like, when I've been in situations when I've tried to repair, regardless of whether it was like a racialized thing. It's like Mm -hmm. a vulnerable, true repair or apology is like really short generally. Mm -hmm. Right. And very just like, I see you, you know, just Mm -hmm. try and reach. And I think sometimes when I hear as a facilitator, like lean into connection or be vulnerable, I like, I feel like that could go on and on or who knows, like you just said, like, where is that going to go? Yeah. Don't make it about you on forever. (laughs) Right. right? And then it can so Mm -hmm. easily lapse into being about me and myself and my own comfort, but I'm just feeling really struck by like less is more, Mm -hmm. you know, take a breath and just a heartfelt apology or connection or acknowledgement even of what happened. Yeah. And really even saying like, hey, I, I'm open to talking about it after because I have more to say, but I just wanted to say in the room that, you know, this is how I'm, I'm sorry. And, and also like acknowledge the dynamics. Like I can understand that how, you know, the, the racialized power dynamics in that exchange. And I am so sorry. I'm so sorry. You yeah. know, like, I think that the more that we can help people feel valid in their experience in those moments, um, the better. And I think I I like that less is more and also giving an opportunity to them. Like if they need to lay into me at the break, right. Um, Right. And, and be able and willing to listen without trying to smooth that over and just knowing that this is, this is part of the work. This is what it looks like. It reminds me of uh, I was um, I'm not going to be specific about, 
the session I was in because I would probably give away who, who and what happened. But I was in a training session. So I was a participant and the, the teachers were two, three, no, two older white men. And they, and we were learning this, we were learning this modality. And there was a black man that I actually became close with during the training. And one of the lead facilitators, when he walked into the hotel, like before we all met each other, he tried to give his keys to this black man to, to park his car. And he was actually a participant in our, mm. in our training. And he tried to like, and he was like, I don't work here. And, and then later come to find out that he's a facilitator in, in this work. And, um, and it came about a few days later mm. and he was like, Hey, I just, and it came about in the circle. Cause it was actually a deeply emotional training. So we were like, a, you able to be vulnerable. And he said like, this happened and there has been no acknowledgement of like the harm that that caused me. And I, I just need you to know that that's not okay with me. Mm-hmm. And, and then the, the man, the white man responded and he was like, Oh yeah, I just I had no idea. And and again, like he's he's not very at the time wasn't very far along in his DEI journey. Um so he probably went into his nervous system and yep. um but it was like, "Oh yeah, man, I'm sorry. I I I I don't even think he apologized. He was like, "Yeah, I just I had no idea." And and then he kind of like immediately changed the focus with no acknowledgement to the emotional harm that was caused. Mm. And it's it just as an example, and and he never like the the black man that I became friends with. Like he never really recovered. He's like, I will never tell mm-hmm. anyone to come do this, especially like black and brown folks. And and I gave a little bit of feedback um, to the facilitators as well. And it it, it just it, it. I guess what's coming forward is if you really believe in what you are teaching. If you mm-hmm. really believe in the modality, in 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 the light that you are, because I do believe these men are spreading light in this world. If you believe in the light that you're spreading through this education that you're giving to people, please be able and willing to look at these mm-hmm. these ways that we can perpetuate harm unintentionally, because your light ended with that man. Like your light, like he would never he will probably never teach that modality. He'll probably never refer anybody to it. And like, do you really want your light to just be spread by white bodied folks? <laughs> Is that really what you're wanting? Right. Mm-hmm. And so if you really are thinking even just about your impact and the work that you're doing, being able and willing to look at your triggers, being able to look at uh, your trauma around specifically around white supremacist culture is only going to further your impact. And I do believe that most facilitators and trainers are wanting to be impactful, right? Yeah, that's that's a really powerful story. And it really highlights, and this is, I mean, you just woven this all together, that, that how the core competencies of, of self-awareness, of curiosity about the experience of those without our lived experience, right? Especially mm-hmm. those um, who are, you know, more oppressed and who um, you know live in those marginalized communities. And it, it yeah, because it, it really very much seems like so much. I'll slow down here. It, you know, one of the things we've heard in from talking with facilitators as we get ready to, we've been getting ready for this program that we're doing. Mm-hmm is like, you know, well, we, we need to trust the facilitation process, right? Like we need to trust the group or we need to, oh. we, we, we can very easily lean on these techniques that we've learned without necessarily recognizing or noticing that those techniques actually come out of white supremacist culture, right? Ooh, and they come out part. of, they come out of, <laughs> You know, so many of them, and we've talked about this before on the podcast, you know, so much of the literature comes out of white academia. Who wrote the books that you're reading about this stuff? Who developed the frameworks that you're, that you're using? Who, you know, where does this stuff come from? Are we in some of the stuff that has connections to indigeneity or to um, other communities of color? 
filtered through white-bodied folks, right? So you think mm-hmm. about uh, Maslow's hierarchy, right? Maslow's hierarchy was not invented by Maslow. He acknowledged that, but like it never actually gets translated in that way. Right? Mm. It's still called Maslow's hierarchy. So yeah, I just it seems to me like part of what you're talking about is these core competencies that as white-bodied folks, we really need to be developing. We really need to be considering. Yeah, I thank you so much for saying that, Greg. And and also when you talk about trust, I don't think that even the facilitator in this example understood that not only did he lose absolutely my trust and the trust of this black man, but there's this kind of unspoken and and maybe even in a lot of ways, unacknowledged loss of trust in the rest of the room. Like even for folks like white bodied folks who may not even be well-versed in DEI or understand power, racialized power dynamics, they could tell like that didn't quite land right. Mm -hmm. There's something here Mm -hmm. that like, like this, this loss of vulnerability on the part of like this, this lost opportunity for vulnerability from the facilitator. It's like, gosh, like, I don't know why, but I'm not really trusting this space anymore. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yes, you lost us, but also you probably lost the room because you weren't able to willing to be willing to like lean into that. So when we talk about trust also, which is so important in, in this, in these processes of holding space for groups, um, it's just, I could go on and on. (laughs) It's just so much. Well, that example, Leilani, it sort of feels like it illustrates in part the missing, the, it's not exactly, but just how I think facilitators will come into the, into this kind of work, like wanting the checklist, I mean, or the, Mm -hmm. give me the five principles for inclusive meeting design um, and the five I don't know. I don't know. Common <laughs> responses when in X situation and, <laughs> and, and I can, you know, the, it's like cognitive, it's like still a technical, mm-hmm. it's not like we're trying to create a world co-create. We're trying to disrupt and do something entirely different. Mm-hmm. This isn't about techniques and mm-hmm. like c- critical race theory, like yes. And more like, Mm-hmm. And so I just feel well, how think- it's just not present. It's just not like the heart, the more, the slowing down, grief, like all the stuff that is not present in our dominant culture. It's like, so then we bump into this kind of stuff and it's like, yeah. A train just, wreck. <laughs> it's a train wreck. It's a train wreck. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that speaks a lot to what Greg, what you mentioned too, of like, Indigenous cultures, we know how to drop into our heart space. We know how to slow down and listen to our emotions and our bodies. Like Indigenous cultures have been doing that forever. And if if we truly did that, if if like the you know early colonizers of the Americas like came in and said, okay, we let's let's do this as humans that are feeling into connection with other humans, there's no way that we'd be in the place we are now. We had you know, our early, the early colonizers had to go into their head in order to justify the ways that they moved forward. Right. Um, And so it's, it's really, it's heartbreaking knowing where we are, but also like empowering to see, okay, I, I know what brought us here and why we're here and like, how can we begin to sink into the wisdom of our own emotions and our bodies and our nervous systems in order to move forward, because that is a deeply indigenous way of being. Mm -hmm. It's so important, Leilani. And I feel like it connects back into something you mentioned a while back about being willing to appear or plain be just less competent, um, you know, in a, Mm -hmm. as a facilitator. And that's a, one of my like personal material it's a scary gets, place. <laughs> yeah, I get totally activated mm-hmm. around not being seen as competent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, I need to know mm-hmm. that because I will, but I think for all of us, it's like, that's, I really wanted to slow that down and lift that up because are you willing, mm-hmm. are you willing to be less competent 
in that mm-hmm. moment on behalf mm-hmm. of care, on behalf of mm. connection, you know? And it sure sounds easy, but in the moment, uh, my experience has been like not so much. So like really needing to build my capacity to put it down and be like, fine, I'll be less competent in this moment in like whatever construct I'm living in in my head or I'm being assessed against mm-hmm. by a co-facilitator or, or, you know, who knows, the white client yeah, who holds judgment. the contract. <laughs> yeah, for mm-hmm. the for the sake of the other people in the room. And um, it's, it's so yeah. interesting, right? Because what like, it's like less competent in the sense of in a particular way, the, the sense of a particular mm-hmm. way. Exactly. And that's, that's the thing is like, there's a way in which actually the, the, a great competency we could be developing is the competency to lose control of the room or the competency Ooh. to learn something Ooh, yeah. like about ourselves and, and how to, how, how we could do things differently. The competency to, to step into a kind of a different way of, of, of operating than we've been trained to, because training is, I mean, training is important and we should, we shouldn't just not do training, but we should also recognize that training tends to shape us in a particular Mm -hmm. way that may or may not be useful in an actual real life with actual human beings in an actual moment. So it's like, like to be incompetent may Mm -hmm. actually be a competency we need to develop. I love that. And, I love and what that. I also heard is <laughs> I heard the competency of chaos because in Ooh. those moments, right. I, and I had goosebumps when it came through like the competency of chaos because chaos is required in order for us to shift, right? Like in those moments where it's like, okay, there is this component of chaos. When, when a BIPOC person speaks up, that there's potential for chaos because it's disrupting all of the ways that we have been conditioned to be like we're, we're choosing chaos in that moment. And so white bodied facilitators can then also say, okay, I, I am leaning into and connecting with this moment of chaos in service of whatever that looks like going forward in service of um, being more, you know, I, I I don't know exactly how you said it, Shannon, but like in, in service of care and service of connection and service of healing, right? Knowing that this moment of chaos is temporary, it always is. But how are we making choices within that chaos that serve the the room in the best way and serve that individual that has experienced harm in the best mm-hmm. way, that serves this connection between us in the best way? Um and so it's like competency and chaos, which as a white supremacist culture, we hate, yep. we fucking hate chaos. We will do everything to smooth it over to like, what, how can we get back to what we're used to? How can we get back to this controlling, like this controlled state? Right. So yeah, that was what I heard as I heard both of you speak. It's, it's brilliant. I think that's, that's exactly that lands really well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm taking this course that just started with uh, Bio Kumalafe um, and and many others. It's called We Will Dance with Mountains, and um, mm. uh, uh, we just had the first program. The first class was on Sunday morning, and in it, so one of the other teachers in it is Orla, a guy named Orland Bishop, um, mm. and Bio was talking, and he he was talking. They were in they were actually in Brazil. Him and, and Orland were in Brazil for another program that they're doing, and um, they had visited this, they went in this kind of ritual um, to visit this, this, um, this space where um, enslaved uh, Africans who were brought to Brazil would go when, when they escaped, when they escaped mm. the plantations that they were in, they would go to this place. And um, he was talking about how there's this, you know, this idea that like they would go from enslavement to freedom. Right. They talks about that. And he, and then bio says that what, Orland says is that the concept of freedom is actually still within the mindset of the plantation mm-hmm. and mm. that what they were actually doing is going from enslavement to uncertainty. And it's that uncertainty, which, and so this, I'm hearing what I'm hearing in what mm-hmm. you just said, Leilani of like this idea of a competency to chaos is kind of a competency to uncertainty Absolutely. and, and the way in which as white bodied folks, 
we're so programmed to bring things back into under control and like back into certainty, back mm-hmm. into something that we can explain and that that you know it's all mapped out in the the characteristics of white supremacy culture, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's all in there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like almost like competency and certainty and um, like perfection. They're all like they're all like. Um, yeah, the uh, tenets of white uh, Tema Okun's white supremacy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But they're like they're like um, what's the word? They're synonyms for each other. Oh, know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm feeling like uh, <laughs> Shannon. I feel like you're going to say good, something. <laughs> no, no. I feel like we're like coming full circle, and mm-hmm. in some ways, like yeah, you know, uh, completely reimagining what it means to be you know, quote, competent. I'd even like to throw that word out. Like, what are we cultivating here? Um, capabilities, you know, different kinds of capabilities as facilitators and looking at the role of of healing and all of that, like what needs to be healed or what needs to be grieved or what needs to just be sat with and felt um, like a dislike of uncertainty, <laughs> you know, a dislike yes. of feeling incompetent, a dislike of feeling insecure. So I don't know. It just feels like maybe we're coming to a place where we can start to wind down our conversation. I had a question that's coming through because I can actually feel the energy of the people that are going to be listening. And some of them Mm -hmm. are holding a question of like, do you two offer anything that can support people in this space? You know, like white bodied folks are looking for places to cultivate some of these skills? Like, do you two offer, have offerings for folks that are seeking that? Well, it's, it's, yeah, it's, I love that you're, you're asking the question. And as we sit here recording this on the 5th of September, 2023, I can answer that with a definitive yes. So if you want to send a little ping back in the direction of, (laughs) they'll hear it though. (laughs) Because, because we do, we do have a program starting. It's called Disrupting Our Practice. And it is a body, it is a program for white bodied, uh, white bodied facilitators, coaches, trainers, and leaders, honestly, anybody who controls space to come and uh, wrestle with a lot of this stuff. I think we need to talk about how we bring um, this question of competency into the into our conversations Mm -hmm. um, in that program. And that program starts on September 11th, which will be before this podcast airs. So if you're listening to this and you didn't sign up for it, um, we're sorry to have missed you for this cohort and let us know. You can, we'll we'll let you know when we do it again. But if you um, are hearing this and, uh, and Leilani has just pinged you back, um, sign up for it between now and the 11th and we'd love to have you in the program. That's amazing. And let me know how I can help. That's, that's what I'm mm. feeling in this moment is mm. if there's any, like the, the competency and chaos I've, that's been me. I've been kind of studying that for the last three years. So mm. I'm, mm. I'm happy to support you and those that are listening in any way. Yeah, well, thanks Leilani. I mean, your presence and just being willing to give us time and be in conversation and relationship yeah. with us is it has been unfolding over the last few years has been such a source of support yes. and uh, really loving it. So just keeping the conversation going, I think offering this podcast to folks too is a way to mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. make more visible the grappling and fucking up and <laughs> inquiry yeah. grieving that, you know, we're, we're in kind of all the time around mm-hmm. this. Um, so yes. Yeah, I mean, reach out. I appreciate you, you both. Coaching, I appreciate I mean, you both all the stuff. so much. Yeah. Mm, thanks. Sorry me. for interrupting. I just, um, totally I'm just fine. really grateful that you're both like, that you have this space that you're offering these conversations. It's so important. Thank mm. you. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you. Yeah. It's, well, I'm really, really grateful for you offering up your time and uh, the, they, uh, you know, just aware of the fact that it, must take some level of emotional labor to be here in this conversation mm-hmm. with a couple of white bodied folks speaking to what we assume are mostly white bodied folks out there. So, yeah, um, that's who yeah, I cool am. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Till next time. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Leilani. And yeah, we'll have to have you back here again sometime, hopefully. Absolutely. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.
Bye. Bye. Well, this is Greg here. And thank you for listening to our conversation with Leilani. That was uh, something that we've been looking forward to for some time and are grateful to had a, um, a chance to do it finally. Um, you can always find information about the show and um, links and whatnot in the show notes. So we encourage you to check that out. If you like this episode, feel free to leave a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. That is super helpful. And um, always reach out to us with conversation or with questions or um, thoughts or ideas that you have. Um, just shoot us an uh, email at, uh, you can reach me at greg at gregorybflynn.com or shannon at shannon at connectionworks.com. If you have any thoughts for our friendly Lonnie, uh, feel free to pass them along and we will send them to her. Um, we are actually going to probably, I should say probably, take a little break as we engage in the Disrupting Our Practice program that just began. Uh, and if you are somebody who missed this round, but you're interested in the program, shoot us a note. And we'll make sure you're on a list for when we um, schedule it for next year. So thank you again. 